All right, good morning, everyone. How are everybody doing today? It's a good day to be at church, right? Everybody look at your neighbor and say, I'm glad you got to see me today. There you go. And I say it back to them. There you go. Say it back. That's good. That's good. Glad to get, I got to see you guys. I'm glad you got to see me today. If it's your first time with us, my name's Brian. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, just happy to, uh, to be able to open up the word today. We're, we're in a, a series called The Story, which we're going to talk more about in a minute. And we're really excited about that. So um, if you are a first time guest, please stop by that connection point out in the foyer. I'd love to be able to meet you afterwards. I got a little gift I'd also love to give you just for worshiping with us today. A um, couple things before we jump in today. Uh, in your bulletins, you'll find there's a, an elder nomination insert in each of those bulletins. If you didn't get one, um, there are some nomination forms that are out in the lobby as well. Um, so if there's a man in our congregation you'd like to nominate to be an elder, uh, just take one of those. All the instructions are in there. Uh, pretty easy to walk through and, and pray through what is on there. So uh, take, make sure you do that here over the next week or two. The other thing I want to tell you is uh, we've been talking a lot about our, our vision here at BCC lately. And our vision is bringing life to our community. Let's say that together. You ready? Go bringing life to our community. And over the next three months, we're actually going to have one event each month for the next three. So one in October, one in November, and one in December. And those events are going to do just that. They're going to bring life to our community right here in Garden City and even beyond. And so here's what I would ask for it from you is that we would have full participation, okay? Not just the same 75 to 100 people that serve at all things, but if every single one of us was to say, you know what, I'm going to fully participate in all three of these things as we close out the year, what kind of an impact could we have? Now, I know I can't get you to commit to it yet because I'm not going to tell you all about it today, okay? And I know that's kind of cruel to tease it out like this. I get that. But come back next week, and I'm going to tell you what some of those things are, okay? So that's your reason to come back next Sunday, all right? So come back, and we'll talk about it. But we're really, really, really excited about the things that God's placed on our hearts um, as staff and elders as we, uh, as we get ready to roll these out for the remainder of the year. Does that sound good? All right, good. All right. So as we said, we're in a series called The Story. Everybody got their story Bibles? Let's see those. Hold them up in the air real quick. Hold them up in the air, wave them around like you just don't care. I'm up there, okay, good. All right, all right, we're waning a little bit. Make sure you bring these each week because we're going to be looking at passages right from the story. If you're new with us, this is a great time to jump into the story. Uh, we're walking cover to cover through Scripture, all the key stories, and uh, we're actually seeing how they fit together in order so we can see this beautiful upper story narrative that God is writing through his people, the Israelites, and we're going to talk a little bit about them today, um, and how he brought us Jesus, the Messiah, through those that Israelite line eventually in the New Testament. So um, if if you're looking to get a book, we've actually got some out on sale in the lobby. Um, they're extremely cheap and affordable, so go grab one. We've had a few do that already um, this morning. So if you've, if you've not gotten yours yet, go ahead and do that. Let's pray, and we're going to jump right in this morning. Father, thank you for the chance to, uh, to open up your word. And Lord, we're just thankful for uh, the story that we're going to look at today and, and the power that's in it um, and the power that you evidence from yourself within this story. And so, God, we just pray that you would help us come away more in awe of you and what you can do in our lives when we're faithful to you. And uh, God, we just ask, as always, that you would help us to leave changed and not the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, that is how you save a princess right there, all right? All the Star Wars fans in the house, that was worth coming to church for just to see the clip this morning. All right, maybe you feel a little bit like Chewbacca today, and I, I'm that way before I have my coffee. The alarm goes off, and I'm like, you know, maybe you feel that way this morning. But, you know, Luke Skywalker, one of the guys that you saw there in that clip, he is one of the uh, greatest cinematic heroes of all time. There are people that talk about him. Usually you see him with his lightsaber in his hand. Uh, he, my, my son Carter is five, and he loves, loves, loves playing Star Wars. I think I might have told you before, he likes the dark side, is what he tells me. Uh, so we're praying for him that he would switch over eventually uh, and be on Luke Skywalker's team. We, ho we hope that becomes the case, but um, it hasn't as of yet. But 
We love heroes in our stories, don't we? Like any movie, there's always a hero and there is a villain, and we love the heroes. And you might think back to your childhood when you guys were playing in the yard and you would fight over who could be Luke Skywalker, or you would fight over who could be Superman because we all want to be a hero in some way, shape, or form. And in fact, I would bet, even for you as an adult, you may not want to be Luke Skywalker or Superman, but there's an area of your life that you would like to be a hero in. Maybe it's with your children, maybe it's in your marriage, maybe it's at your place of business, maybe it's a career thing that you've been considering, and you, you want to be a hero. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that necessarily. I don't think there's anything wrong with desiring to be that hero, someone to stand up and do something great and do something big. But the reality is you don't just turn into a hero overnight. You don't just wake up one day and become a hero. Now, before we go any further, I want us to think a little bit about last week and what we talked about, about how, if you remember the old generation here with the Israelites, um, they kind of rejected a lot of what Moses told them, didn't they? They complained and they grumbled and they didn't listen uh, to God. They questioned him when they came up against difficulty. Um, And if you remember, God allowed uh, many of them, almost all of them, to die in the wilderness wandering around for 40 years because of their disobedience and because they didn't trust and obey, which leads us to our Bible bottom line from last week. Maybe you remember it. Hopefully you went to sleep last weekend thinking about our bottom line, and we said it was this. When you can't see the way, good, that's good. Some of you guys were listening. That's good. When you can't see the way, trust and obey. Let's say it together. You ready? Go. When you can't see the way, trust and obey. And unfortunately, because the older generation of Israelites didn't do this and they complained, they did not receive the blessing of the promised land. And instead, they set themselves up for failure. They set themselves up uh, for negativity. But here's what's great about our story this week. This new generation has a different outlook. These people that we're going to look at, the ones that were allowed to remain and go towards the promised land, which we're going to see them take a part of this morning, they were people of faith who followed the leader that God gave them fully, and because of it, they were blessed. And that leader that God gave them, as a matter of fact, ended up being one of the heroes of our faith. As we look at Scripture, one of the great heroes from the Old Testament, a man named Joshua. Everybody say Joshua. But here's the thing. Joshua did not become a hero overnight. In fact, Joshua didn't even set out to be a hero. He didn't have this master plan of putting himself in a perfect position so he could take over for Moses one day. We don't see any of that as we read the account of Joshua and as we read the account leading up to Joshua becoming a hero. He was not scheming. He was not plotting. He was not trying to do things just so he could become the leader. What we see all throughout his story, he was simply faithful in everything he did. He was obedient in everything he was asked to do. And so today what I want us to talk about for just a few moments is this fact Faithfulness prepares us for great acts of faith. Faithfulness prepares us for great acts of faith. Those great heroic acts of faith that we all want to be a part of come on the heels of our faithfulness. And we're going to see this in the life of Joshua. Now, one of those great acts of faith for Joshua was defeating an incredibly powerful city named Jericho. And we're going to get there because that's the really, really fun part of this story. We're going to get there. But before we do, I want us to kind of rewind and I want us to look at Joshua's life leading up to Jericho and make a few observations and see some of those things about him and the way he operated with God and with Moses that allowed him to become the hero that we know him to be. Does that sound good? Everybody say yes. 
Now, let me give you this caveat before we jump in. We're only going to be able to scratch the surface on a couple of these thoughts today as we walk through. So I would encourage you, if you didn't read chapter 7 in the story, go back this afternoon and read through it. Go back and read the book of Joshua. It is chock full of battles and victories and amazing stuff that we don't have all the time this morning to go into because I want you guys to be able to get to lunch before the Baptists get there, okay? I want you to beat them there to the restaurant, okay? But go back and read it. We're going to touch on a few things. The first thing we see about Joshua leading up to Jericho— is that Joshua was faithful when no one was looking. Joshua was faithful when no one was looking. See, Joshua doesn't show up on the scene as this amazing leader of the people of Israel. He actually shows up serving under Moses. He was one of the few faithful people in the original group of Israelites that were brought out of slavery in Egypt. Think about it for a minute. At the end of the 40 years of wandering, all the people that came out of Egypt, that walked out, that crossed the Red Sea, all of them had died except for Moses, Joshua, and Caleb. That were the only three that were left. And eventually Moses ended up dying before they got to the promised land as well. So he was one of the faithful, original few that came out of Egypt. And what we see is when they come out of Egypt 40 years prior to the story of Jericho, Moses asked him to lead a fight against this group of people called the Amalekites. He says, get some men together and go fight these people. And that's what we're going to read here in Exodus 17. You can reference the screen. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow, I will stand on top of the hill with a staff of God in my hand. Remember the scene? If you've been to Sunday school, you probably remember the scene. Moses holding the staff up, right? And as long as he held his arms up with the staff up in the air, God gave incredible extra strength to the army of Israelites that were going against the Amalekites. If he lowered his hands, that strength went away. Go back and read it. It's a really fun story, all right? They even had people come and help him hold his arms up because he got fatigued and he got tired. But in the moment he would start to go down, they would begin to lose the fight. Anytime his hands were up in the air, they would win the fight. This is where he's asked to serve for the very first time. And look at what Joshua's response is at the end of that slide. Can you guys read the last sentence with me? Starts with the word so. You ready? So Joshua did as Moses told him. See, that's the MO of Joshua all throughout his life leading up to Jericho. Moses did as, as or uh, Joshua did as Moses told him. Joshua did as God told him. And we see this all throughout. There are so many stories if we had time for Joshua where we could go through. We don't have time. Go back and read it. This was the deal with Joshua. He had a pattern of obedience in his life. There was a pattern of obedience and faithfulness in everything, even when nobody was looking, even in the small things. He didn't question God. He didn't question Moses. He was faithful. In this one right here, this situation with the Amalekites, this is just one of the many seemingly small things that Joshua did while he was serving under Moses. One of the other stories you can go back and read later is actually uh, Joshua served alongside, quietly beside Moses, while Moses served in the temple or the tabernacle at that time. If you remember, the temple was the permanent dwelling eventually for God, right? The place built of stone, right? The tabernacle was this tent they moved around in the wilderness, and that's where they would worship God and, and, and give sacrifices to him. Moses served in there, and Joshua served right alongside of him. No notoriety, no mention about Joshua doing anything great. All the eyes were on Moses, but Joshua served faithfully. As a matter of fact, whenever Moses went up on Mount Sinai where we got the Ten Commandments, remember that whole thing where he gets this, the tablets of stone? He's up there on the mountain. Joshua was one, the, the, the Scripture tells us, went part of the way up the mountain with them and stopped and paused and let Moses go on to the top and meet with God. Well, what happened down at the base of the mountain while he was hanging out there? 
the Israelites were nuts. And they're like, we don't know what happened to this Moses guy. He's been up there for too long. We're impatient. Uh, Aaron, can you make us a statue we can worship? And they make a golden calf. Joshua was one of the only ones who did not worship the golden calf at the base of the mountain. It had been easy for him to walk on down the mountain and see what was going on, see what the ruckus was, but he wasn't. He waited patiently because Moses told him to wait there. And we see this all throughout Joshua's life, this pattern of obedience and faithfulness. And think about it, guys. He did this for more than 40 years. See, the whole thing with the Amalekites we just read in Exodus was right when they came out of Egypt. Then he wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years being obedient, doing right in the small things underneath the leadership of Moses, not getting any notoriety, not getting any eyes on him, no props for himself, but he was faithful and he obeyed the law that God gave Moses up on the top of Mount Sinai. These are all the things we see about him leading up to him being that leader, that hero at Jericho, but he was faithful when no no one was looking. Think about yourself. How about your life? How about my life? Do you only serve when people are looking at you? Do you only offer to help when you're going to get some level of praise or, or props for what you've done? Do you only give whenever others see you giving in some way, shape, or form? Do you only serve or do the right things when others are looking at you or only when it gets you positive attention or it gives you some level of praise or promotion? Or are you like Joshua, willing to be obedient and faithful in the small things even when no one's looking? That's a heavy question at 10 a.m. this morning, isn't it? Because it's very easy for us to let those small things slip. And yet we want to be heroes, don't we? I want to be a hero. I think you guys want to be heroes too. But if we're going to be those heroes, just like Joshua was, we've got to be faithful when no one's looking in the small things. Let's keep moving because there's more to his story. Number two, Joshua was faithful when others were not. So not only was he faithful when nobody was looking at him, but he was faithful when others weren't faithful. Back up to chapter 6 last week that we read, okay? Do you remember the part of the story where God tells Moses to send 12 spies out to look at the land of Canaan? He says, send a, send a person from each tribe of Israel out to spy out Canaan and see what's going on over there. So he sends out the 12 spies. Guess who was one of those 12 spies? Come on, you know the answer. Go ahead. It's not a trick question. Joshua, yeah, yeah. I won't, I won't slap your hand if you get it wrong, I promise, okay? All right, it was Joshua. And they go in and they spy this land out. They come back and they give a report to Moses. And they say, Moses, this place is amazing. The land is incredible. There's these giant grapes and it's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a fertile land where we can develop uh, crops and we can live bountifully for so many years. But, there's a big but in there, all right? He says, there are giants in the land that are going to conquer us. We can't beat these guys. They're too big for us. Their cities are walled. Their cities are fortified. There's no way that we can beat these people. Well, of the 12 spies, two of them said, you know what? Let's obey God and do this. Guess who one of those spies was? Come on, you got to tell me. Who was one of the spies? Not a trick question. It was Joshua. And this is what he says to the people. Look at page 76 of the story. The land we passed through, people, and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he'll lead us into that land. A land that's flowing with milk and honey and will give it to us. Everybody say, give it to us. 
I'm going to. Keep listening, all right? Only do not, I set you up for that one. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not be afraid of those people in the land. Because we will devour them. That's leadership language right there, church. We will devour them. We will crush them. That's what a football coach says to his team in the fourth quarter right there. We will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Everybody say, with us. Do not be afraid of them. Now, in this scene, all of the Israelites, all the people, raise up stones, and they're ready to stone Joshua and Caleb for standing up and trying to be obedient to what God said. They even said, let's stone them and let's get a new leader that'll lead us back to Egypt. So they got the 10 spies that are against them. You got the whole nation of Israel at this point that's against them. And what does Joshua do? He says, no, we will obey God and we're going to be faithful even when it's not popular. That's, That's good, isn't it? See, this is the Joshua we see leading up to Jericho. He was faithful when nobody was looking. He was faithful when other people were not. It would have been so easy for him in that situation to go with the flow. It would have been easy for him to say, you know what? Well, the other 10 spies are right. Those guys were pretty big. I mean, they were giants. I mean, God, I know you're strong, but this is kind of scary here. He could have, it would have been so easy to do that and lay back and be one of the ones that ended up dead in the wilderness like so many of his friends and his family members But he didn't. He was faithful and he obeyed and he was faithful even when other people were, even when it wasn't popular. Now, even though they would wander in the wilderness for 40 years after that whole interaction there, Joshua had made a pattern for his life of obedience and faithfulness. Now think about this. If you were here last week, if you weren't, go back and listen to the message. It'll make it make a little more sense. Remember last week how we talked about how complaining kind of rewires your brain in a sense so that you actually become more negative and more negative and more negative and it sets you up for failure. Remember that whole thing, right? That's what we talked about last week. The same is true positively, church. The more you're obedient, the more you're faithful in those small things, the more you're faithful when no one's looking, the more you obey God in the small things, what it does is it sets you up for success. And this is what we see in Joshua's life. He was obedient after obedient after obedient, faithful after faithful after faithful, and it set him up to be the hero that he become. He became. He didn't wake up one day a hero and decide, oh, I think I'll be a hero today. I think I'll just trust God and take some laps around these walls. No. He was faithful in the small things. He was faithful when no one was watching. He was faithful when it wasn't popular. And he created this pattern of obedience in his heart and in his mind that allowed him to trust. And number three, here you go if you're taking notes. This allowed Joshua to be faithful even when it didn't make sense. Joshua was faithful when it didn't make sense. Now, this will make, that point will make a little more sense when I tell you what his plan was or God's plan was for conquering Jericho. It didn't make a whole lot of sense from a human standpoint. Now, think about the Jericho story up to this point, okay? The beginning of the book of Joshua, okay, it's, it's mentioned here in chapter 7 of the story. That's actually the very first page of the book of Joshua from your Bibles. It actually, it's always fascinating to me how it begins. It starts off with a death. <laughs> The Lord said to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. All right? When God says you're dead, you're dead. All right? That's just a good rule of thumb there. There's no debating it. God said, he is dead and gone. And he says, Joshua, I want you to be the leader of Israel, and you're going to go in, and you're going to wipe out all of the Canaanite people and the cities that they currently inhabit, and you're going to take the promised land for yourself. Now, let's pause there for a minute. I think Canaanites is probably one of those church words that we've thrown around and heard, and we don't really understand who they were. And actually, if you read a lot of, of uh, 
uh, Stephen Dawkins and people like that, these people that, that are uh, secular or atheists in, in, in any shape or form, one of the arguments they throw up right here is that, is this not genocide? Is this not God being cruel and hateful to these people and going in and wiping out these people groups? I mean, how could he do that? I mean, they wiped out men, women, boys, and girls. They didn't even care. They just wiped them all out. How terrible is that? Let's have a conversation about the Canaanites for a minute. The Canaanites were a group of people, and they were known by some other names as well. You might hear them called Amorites. That was one group of the people that were Canaanites. You hear them Jebusites, and there's several others that you read there in the chapter of Joshua. But the Canaanites was the, was the overarching name for this group of people that was extremely wicked on a whole nother level. Everybody say a whole nother level. Part of their worship to their false gods included prostitution in worship, sexual debauchery in their time of worship. Like this was like encouraged in, the, in, the, in, in their worship times with their false idols. Let me give you one even worse than that. They worshiped a God, a false, a false God named Molech. Okay. Molech was, it was a, it was a false God, but he was a God that was part man and part bull. And they built this big brass statue of him, this large idol with his hands outstretched like this. And what they would do is they would set a fire down at his feet and it would heat up this brass structure. And what they would do is they would actually place their firstborn babies into his fiery hot hands and burn them to death. This was the people that were the Canaanites. They were sacrificing their own children to these false gods to appease this god named uh, Molech. These were the, and this is just a few examples. There's more. You can go and read about them. These were a terribly wicked people. But here's what fascinates me and what blows me away about the whole thing. This was a group of people who God had been incredibly patient with. In fact, if you actually went back to Genesis where God has the conversation with Abraham and he, and he makes the covenant with Abraham. He says, you're going to be a father of many nations and your people are going to go in and they're going to inhabit a land that's not their own and they're going to suffer and be persecuted. Does that part ring any bells? Egypt. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. Okay. Egypt, right? And they're in Egypt. They suffered. But then he said, I'm paraphrasing here. He says, they're going to take the promised land, but not yet. This is what he tells Abraham. This is 400 years before this takes place with, with Joshua. He says, but not yet, because the sin of the Amorites is not yet complete. Amorites were one of the groups of Canaanites. 400 years earlier, God had already put his finger on these people that were wicked and terrible and were shaking their fists at God. And he said, you know what? Not yet. I'm going to be patient and long-suffering and loving towards them and give them space to repent. You might not have ever connected those two dots, but that's in there, church. 400, more than 400 years later, he finally says, after all this long suffering and all this patience with these wicked people that have rejected him and have rebelled against him, he says, enough is enough, and I'm going to use the nation of Israel, and I'm going to use you, Joshua, as agents of justice to judge these wicked people. That sounds pretty fair, wouldn't you think? After you hear the story of the Canaanites, after you hear the patience of God, that's not a God that willy-nilly just goes and wipes out people. No, no, no. This was, a, this was an act of judgment on a nation that had shaken their fists at God for more than 400 years. And that's heavy and that's dark. Let's talk about Jericho for a minute. So when they go in to take out these people uh, that are wicked, these Canaanites, these Amorites, and all the other lists of people that he gives there, the first city that they come to is Jericho. Okay, the first city is Jericho. Everybody say Jericho. Jericho is considered by, by many as one of the oldest settlements in the world. It had been there for an extremely long time, an incredibly fortified city. And Jericho, if you've ever been to church, right, you know it had walls around it, didn't you? 
I never really realized uh, as a child how incredible these walls were and how fortified they were. When we think about a wall, like I've got a house that was built in the 60s, and I've got like the little five-foot concrete cinder block wall around the backyard, like as like a privacy fence type thing. I, I knew it was bigger than that, but I didn't have any idea it was the size that it actually is. So Jericho was actually built on top of a mound, and on top of that mound, it actually had two layers of walls, okay? But before we even get to the walls, there was a stone retaining wall beneath those two walls that, that archaeologists that have done excavation say was anywhere from 12 to 15 feet tall made of stone. That's before you even get to the actual wall, the brick walls of the city. So it was built on a mound. It had this stone retaining wall, 12 to 15 feet high. And then on top of that, there was a mud brick wall that was six feet thick. All right, As, t- as, as tall as I am tall, this, this wall was wide. And they say that wall was somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 to 26 feet high, okay? Do the math on the low end right there. We're at 32 feet already, and that's just the first wall. This was how this city was laid out. It was heavily fortified. You get past the first wall, so we got stone retaining wall. We got mud brick wall on top of that. Then from there, there was this angled piece of earth, right? The ground that went up at an angle to an even higher wall. Now, in between the two walls, uh, they kind of go back and forth as to how many acres were in there, but it was big enough to have houses in there. And this is actually where Rahab the harlot's house was. Hers was built into the wall, but a lot of the poorer people in Jericho would live in that in between, in between the two walls, okay, on that angled piece of earth earth. Angled piece of earth goes up. There's another wall at the top that's even wider than the one at the bottom, okay? Again, they got to go back and forth on that. And it's another 12 to 15 feet tall up there. So think about what the nation of Israel saw as they looked up at the wall. So you're the nation of Israel. You've just crossed the Jordan River. You're ready to go take this promised land, and you're standing on the ground. And what you're looking up at is walls in combination that are as tall as an almost five-story building, Pretty incredible, isn't it? Pretty insurmountable, it would seem. And as they looked up at the walls, probably thought, all right, God, I hope you've got a really good plan for this because these are some big walls. And I mean, this was one of the things we said 40 years ago. Like, I don't think we can take these people because they're in these really heavily walled cities. Let's see what God tells them. You ready? Page 92. Now, the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. So as scary as this city was, like I just described to you, the people in the city were deathly afraid of the Israelites. Let me tell you why. Because just before they went in and took Jericho, Joshua led the people of Israel across the Jordan River. Everybody say Jordan River. When he led them across, there weren't bridges like we have today. They didn't have blow-up rafts or boats like we had today. They had to walk it. And God miraculously parted it so they could walk across on dry ground. Can you remember that story? It said, And actually it tells us, Joshua says, If you read in the book of Joshua, he says, uh, we crossed the Jordan River during harvest time. That's important. We're going to come back to it. We did it during harvest time when the river was overflowing its banks. So it was an incredibly hard time to cross it anyway. Well, word had gotten to Jericho of what God did at the Jordan River, and they were afraid. And people back in these times were very superstitious. If they weren't superstitious, they were at least a little stitious, okay? All right. Okay, you can laugh. All right, some of you will get that in a minute, all right? They were superstitious, but they were afraid, and they had everything locked down. No one was going out of the city. No one was coming into the city. And so look at what the Lord says to Joshua, page 92. The Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. Everybody say delivered. Past tense, isn't it? Along with its king and its fighting men. See, even though as they looked up at that almost five-story structure of walls, fortification, 
It seemed like a daunting task. Even as they looked up at it with maybe some fear and a little bit of doubt, God says to Joshua, you will conquer Jericho. And he even said it in past tense. He said, I have delivered them to you. All you got to do is obey like it's already done. This is what he tells him. And, and so at this point, I can just see Joshua and maybe his mighty men around him. They're like, let's do this. All right, God, I'm, I'm good. Let's go. How are we going to do this? Are we going to use the plagues like we did against Pharaoh? Hey, can you call down some fire like you did against those complaining Israelites? How about we do that? Uh, what, do, what do you want us to do? We need to make this aggressive. We need to be forceful. <laughs> and God says, well, not exactly. Here's what I want you to do. Look at what it says. Page 92, keep going. March around the city once with all of the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horn in front of the ark. On the seventh day, I want you to march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpet. At this point, Joshua, some of his men might have raised their hand and said, God, at what point are we pulling out the swords? Um, at what point are the plagues coming? Right now, we're just taking a walk, and we're like filling our activity tracker on our Apple Watch. You know what I mean? Like we're getting our exercise in. We're good with that, God. But when, when is it we're going to pull out the, the swords and, 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 and the battle armor here? He says, on the seventh day, go around seven times blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse, and the army will go up, everyone straight in. If I'm in Joshua's shoes right there, my first response is, okay, God, so you, you're powerful, and I, I get that. Like, you've done some really incredible things, but you want us to walk circles around them until we win? Like, we're not doing any of the plagues? Like, I mean, what about calling down some fire? I mean, can we do that thing we did with Moses where we hold the stick up in the air and you give us extra strength, and we go in and we jump over the walls and we take them? Like, can we do something like that? That's not what he does. He gives no excuses whatsoever do you remember Moses, his predecessor? When God called him and told him what he wanted to do and it seemed too big for him, what did he do? He gave excuses. He gave excuses and more excuses and more excuses. Joshua doesn't do it. Joshua is operating right now in that pattern that he's been creating for the last 40 years or more. He's operating out of obedience and faithfulness, and he doesn't give excuses. He completely obeys without question, and he runs to the people, and he tells them what God said. Page 92. So Joshua, the son of Nun, not son of a Nun, but son of Nun, all right, called the priests, and he said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. Joshua trusts and obeys even when he can't see the way. Even though this military plan seems crazy. This is the most fortified city they're going to come up against. It seems incredibly crazy that God would tell him to do it this way. But he does it, and he does it even when it's probably not popular. Do you remember the story I told you a moment ago from chapter 6 about whenever he brought back the report from the promised land? The people wanted to stone him because it wasn't a popular opinion that he had. You don't think that was going through his head right here as he went to Israel and said, look guys, here's the plan. I know I told you 40 years ago I was ready to go in and take this thing. God's given us the battle plan and this is what it is. All right, lace up your Nikes because we're about to walk some laps around this city. I have no doubt. That that last conversation he had had with them when he was, whenever he was coming back as a spy was playing through his mind. But Joshua didn't care. He was, he was in such a pattern of obedience in his life that even when it didn't make sense, he was able to trust what God said, take it to the people, even though it probably wasn't popular. And so they do it. They obey him. 
much different than Moses' people he was leading. Moses' people would have complained and grumbled and said, no, I don't want to put on my walking shoes. We're not doing it. You know, I, it's too hot. It's three degrees too hot outside, Moses. We're not doing it. These people don't do that. This generation is a generation of faith, and they follow him. And so for six days in a row, they take one walk around the entire city. Maybe as they get three or four days in, they start to think to themselves like maybe we would. Is God really going to do this? I mean, I know we're obeying, we're doing what he said, but I mean, it's been three days and we haven't even seen the walls like start to crumble at all. Like, I mean, is, is this going to happen? But they, they just followed the leadership that God had placed in their lives in Joshua and they obey and they don't give up. And the seventh day came, page 93. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and they marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, like he said, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the walls collapsed. Everybody say, the walls collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. What an incredible story of faith. What an incredible story of Joshua's faithfulness to stand up and be the hero that he needed to be because he created this pattern of obedience in the small things when nobody was looking, when it wasn't popular. He was going to be the leader that God called him to be, and he was going to be faithful with whatever God called him to do, no matter what it was, even when it didn't make sense. And it's an incredible story, but it's a true story. And maybe you're sitting out there today, and maybe you're just kind of skeptical. You're like, ah, Pastor Brian, I don't know about this whole thing. Like, I've read different stuff about this, and people don't even believe this really existed. And, and, and that's fine. You're welcome to have those objections. But let me tell you a couple little, little cool proofs that, that we found in excavating the site at Jericho to tell you that it's true. Do you remember, um, I told you this has been an excavated site. They've kind of talked about it being one of the oldest civilizations uh, or places of civilization in the world, actually. Um, and so there's been people over the years that have done uh, archaeological digs and excavations there, and they found all kinds of things. You can go over there right now and take a tour of it. You really can. You can see the walls. You can see the, the stone uh, rampart or the stone retaining wall. But as they were doing some excavating, one of the things that they found amongst the many things were these large jars of grain filled with grain. Okay. Like, All right, cool, Brian. That's, that's really good. Nice. They got jars of grain. This is, those jars of grain mean a couple things. Do you remember a few moments ago whenever I said Joshua, when they crossed the Jordan River right before they took Jericho, what time of year did he say that it was? He said it was harvest time when the river was overflowing its banks. Those jars of grain that they found that we physically have, there's pictures of them. You can go look at it online. The actual jars would not have been full at any other time other than when? Harvest time, exactly what the Bible says. It corroborates perfectly with what the Bible says about the story. But let me tell you another one even better. In those days, whenever people would go and they would attack a city like Jericho, one that was heavily fortified like this, they would actually surround the city and they would try to starve them out. They would starve them out until they either uh, ran out of food. Sometimes they'd begin to eat each other. It was pretty gross, I realized that. Uh, or they would surrender and come out and give them the city. And so in this situation... If they, any other nation that would have come up against Jericho, because it was so fortified, would have had to have starved them down to their last piece of grain. But what did I just tell you was in those jars? They were filled with grain, which means when the Bible says they took Jericho in seven days, they took it in seven days. Otherwise, they'd have found empty jars all over the place where they had been starved out and eventually would have destroyed it because no other nation in the world could have come up against them and taken that city in fact, the Bible says what happened, happened. And archaeologists, archaeologists have confirmed what the Bible said. 
I love it when it lines up with the scripture. Don't you love that? Listen, this was an incredibly quick, swift victory that didn't make sense outside of God moving in a mighty way and dropping those walls. There's no other nation that would have had a chance of destroying them the way that Jericho was destroyed. And as we dig up a little dirt over there, we find out that it lines up perfectly with what the Bible says. Amen? Now, here's what's cool. Because of all this, Joshua became a hero. Look at what it says. One last passage here. Turn over to page, uh, page 94. Page 94 says this. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the land. Joshua became a hero that day. And God proved himself faithful to the promise he had made to Abraham over 400 years prior, that he was going to give his people the promised land there in Canaan. Because Joshua was faithful, he was able to be a part of God's faithful plan, and he became a hero. And so as we think about our lives today, you want to be a hero. I want to be a hero. But it doesn't happen overnight. And the way that we become a hero like Joshua is this. Be faithful in the small things so God can use you to do big things. Be faithful in the small things so God can use you to do big things. See, Joshua would have never been a hero of our faith if he had tried to make himself one on his own. He would never have been a hero of our faith if he had only done the things that would get him ahead, if he only served when people were looking, if he only did what was popular. He was faithful in the small things, and his faithfulness conditioned his heart and his mind to trust God and allowed him to conquer the city of Jericho, even though the plan seemed crazy. Do you remember our one-liner, our bottom line from last week? When you can't see the way, trust and obey. See, that doesn't happen overnight either. You don't just wake up one day and when God calls you to do something audacious and bold, you don't just say, okay, I think I'll do it. No, it's this pattern of obedience over time that builds our faith to the point at which we can be like Joshua. And when God says, go walk laps around the biggest city you're going to fight against and you'll take it down, you say, Okay, God, I'm going to trust you and obey, even though I don't understand, even though it doesn't make sense. It didn't happen overnight. It happened as he made a pattern of obedience and faithfulness in all the other things in his life. Amen? God wants this for every single one of you. God wants this for my life too. He wants you to be a hero in your circle of influence. He wants you to be one that leads and conquers and does big things. But listen, you've got to be faithful in the small things. You can't just show up on game day when the lights come on and expect that you're going to be a hero and perform if you don't put in the work when no one's watching. You can't expect to be a hero if you're not willing to do the things that are unpopular. you got to be faithful in those small things. And I promise you, God will use you to do big things. Because here's our reality, exactly where we started today. Faithfulness prepares us for great acts of faith. Amen? Faithfulness prepares us for great acts of faith. I want you to be a hero. I want our church to be a hero in this community where we're, say, we're seeing people accept Jesus Christ and seeing their lives change. And I want to do that. And I, I believe that's the desire of your heart too. Amen? Let's do that together. And let's let our faithfulness prepare us for some great acts of faith. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for the chance to look at the story of Joshua and his faithfulness in things that were small, things that were out of sight, things that were unpopular. God, give us the character, give us the obedient hearts that we need to trust you and do what's right. 
in all things that you call us to do. When the lights are on us and when the lights are off us. And God, use us to do great things. God, we're grateful that we can look back at the story of Jericho and we can see how you just gave an incredible victory over a city that should have never fallen. God, we're thankful for even the proof that we see today that this story is a true, true story, an accurate narrative. Father, we love you. I heard today that uh, if there's someone here that uh, doesn't know you, that they would come to know you in, in faith. And uh, I just pray that you'd help us to take new territory for you as we're faithful in those small things. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.